Have you ever had someone refer to something going on in the community who asked you, what's going on there? What's the story with all that? The right answer lies with the people directly involved in it, the people who know. Why not hear their story? So welcome to What's the Story, Pekin? I'm Gary Gillis, your host, and I hope you enjoy this Pekin podcast. Well, my guest today is Phyllis DeWitt. If you're a Pekinite, you may or may not know Phyllis, but you need to know her story. It's a story of fortitude, perseverance, rugged determination, and surviving then thriving, all fueled by love for others and her love and swerving faith in God. And she wrote a book about her experiences titled, I'm Still Standing, and today she is sitting here joining us on today's podcast. Phyllis, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, professionally, right now, you are a nurse practitioner. You're known for that. You also are a nursing instructor at Bradley University. I am, actually, at four universities. Oh, really? Yes. They are Bradley uh, and? Bradley, Chamberlain, South University, and Spring Arbor University. Wow. Good, good for you. And your business card has acronyms of DNP, FNP, CNS. So... What do those stand for? Yes, my um, first master's degree was as a clinical nurse specialist, and so that is a person who takes care of acutely ill hospitalized patients. So with that degree, I worked as an inpatient hospitalist at OSF for several Mm -hmm. years. My FNP is family nurse practitioner, so that's more chronic illness, um, you know, outpatient primary care practice. And DNP is Doctorate of Nursing Practice, so I have a doctorate degree in nursing. Well, good, for, good for you. It's an amazing resume, but what makes it more amazing is what you experienced growing up and the hardships in your life and really the ability to overcome and really therefore author a book called I'm Still Standing. So share with us your story if you could. Absolutely. So I was raised here in Pekin, and um, sadly, I had uh, a lot of experience with child sexual abuse starting at a very early age. So I was sexually abused by several family members um, starting at the age of three. And, you know, the positive part is we later were able to confront each of them. And none of them denied the story, which was good for me because it really helped put some of the puzzles together, puzzle pieces together and it helped validate how old I was when the abuse started because Mm -hmm. I remembered that I was super, super young, but I just couldn't figure out an age, but they were able to help me figure out the age. So um, anyway, so I had a lot of sexual abuse growing up and my parents ended up separating when I became a teenager and my mom went to go live with one of the men who had abused me, it was her brother. And I just couldn't go. And we got into a huge argument. And sadly, that night, I ended up in foster care. So as a teenager, I was my first foster home. My foster dad was arrested for bank embezzlement. So I got moved to another foster home. And that foster dad started abusing me. And so I ended up as an emancipated minor at the age of 16. Mm -hmm. So I um, was living on my own here in Pekin, had an apartment, worked at um, a restaurant and a nursing home, both here in Pekin, at 16. And um, shortly, a couple years later, ended up my, actually my father committed suicide. And I, at my 
my um, father's funeral, I met my soon-to-be husband, Tony mm-hmm. DeWitt, at that funeral. And we got married when I was 18 and he was 27. We um, started having kids and had three little kids and shortly after that became foster parents and we fostered over 100 kids over the next 27 years um, and took permanent legal guardianship of 10 of those girls and sadly my husband got cancer and so he was um, at, at 27 years of marriage he passed away from cancer and I started my master's degree in nursing. Mm. And that year took in three more children, took permanent guardianship of three more kids, worked and got my master's degree, um, my doctorate degree, and then met husband number two. And he found out I had 13 children and almost ran. <laughs> that's, that's Craig, who's uh, uh, Craig Nelson. Nelson, which of course he suffers a lot of teasing because people want to ask him how how he enjoyed uh, acting in, in the series coach but it's a different Craig Nelson and I know um, both of you have um, also been involved in kind of global experiences yes you know taking your you know benevolence elsewhere and and your your nursing skills and applying those to, to those in need in places where uh, health care is is lacking so yes. share that a little bit. We, um, well, I've gone on probably close to 40 medical mission trips, and, and I bet he's probably done 15 of those with me. And we have gone to Haiti and India and Israel and um, Brazil, staffed a floating hospital in the Amazon River, just uh, Guatemala, um, all kinds of experiences where, uh, again, they have very limited health care. They have very limited access to health care. But more importantly, they also have a lot of sexual abuse and a lot of um, neglected and abused children and women. And mm-hmm. so I've actually been able to kind of marry my um, skills as a nurse and um, my story as a survivor of sexual abuse and really have an impact on some of the people that we work sure. with there. Well, back to growing up. Uh, we, we live in a time now where, you know, unfortunately, teen suicide is mm-hmm. is a problem. Um, how did you just continue to move on? I mean, what type of, what really motivated you or what events happened to keep you moving forward? Well, I um, accepted Christ as my Savior when I was quite young. And fortunately, that's been a huge, huge um, strength in my whole life. I've um, never abandoned my faith. I've never abandoned um, the church. And fortunately, I feel like God has never abandoned me throughout mm-hmm. it all. And so um, I think that's been the number one um, strong point that has kept me grounded and able to keep going because I see now so many things in my life have honestly been as a direct result of my trauma and abuse and so many things that I'm passionate about. And so I tell people that God can use your pain and turn it into purpose and passion. And I I don't think I would have honestly even been a nurse. And I was one of um, Central Illinois' first SANE nurses, which is a sexual assault nurse examiner. And so I would work with rape victims that would come to the emergency room. I worked at um, domestic, with domestic violence victims and rape victims. I've done the foster care, I've done the mission trips. Um, just so much of what I did, honestly, um, as an adult, um, and passions that I had came as a direct result of my abuse. And so 
I look at it as something that um, I can now use as a mission. Sure. So what motivated you to author a book? And, and, and really, I read the book. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's uh, it's really an easy read. It's a, you know, obviously a, a profound and in some ways troubling subject, but it's written in a way where, I mean, you're speaking from the heart. Mm-hmm. You can tell it wasn't ghost written by anybody for you. It's it's you and you sharing those experiences. Uh, but it had to be difficult in doing that. But you obviously felt a purpose in doing so. Yes, um, I actually kind of had a dual purpose, um, maybe even more than a dual purpose. Years ago, before my first husband died, he had actually said, I really feel someday you're going to write a book. And actually, in preparation for that, before he passed away, because he had gone with me to confront my abusers and had experienced what it was like to see me um, heal from the trauma and abuse, he actually had asked that we do a recording of him, a video recording. So we have a two-hour videotape meeting with him, um, our pastor at that time, our physician at that time, and my psychologist and some friends of ours, where he shared what it was like to be married to me going through this and what it was like to confront my abusers. And so had that as a foundation already in the back of my mind, and then really wanted to help other women see that um, they, regardless of what they went through, or even other men actually, um, other people see that regardless of what they went through, there doesn't have to be shame or guilt or fear attached to it. Because in all honesty, those experiences that I went through didn't cause the shame and the guilt for me. It was the secrecy about those experiences that create the shame and the guilt. So I wanted people to see that once you start exposing the secret, the power that it holds in your life in a negative way is gone. And so I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to give other people a a voice. I wanted them to see that um, if they could share, give them an opportunity and a platform to share a little bit about what's gone on in their lives. And that's one thing that Spook's really done. I've had people that I've never met before have contacted me through my website, through my Facebook, and and just shared with me what the, what the story meant for them because of the abuse they had experienced. One was in her 90s. Wow. And had never shared it with anybody. Wow. And it was cathartic in a way, probably even for a 90-some-year-old yes. to go through that. Yes. Wow, that's really something. Well, on, on top of that, um, you, know, you lost a son. I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's perhaps just doubles the amazement I have. I and mean, nobody can really, they'll talk about it. And the comment they'll usually use is, I can't imagine surviving, losing a child. And you were a child who was a victim. Uh, you lost your husband to cancer. You lost a son to, to cancer. The same. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Chris was in Notables, the same time my daughter was. And uh, a very, very talented young man i can i can still see that yeah, and chris isn't the one that i lost though brandon is brandon i'm sorry yeah, that's all right say that i don't know geez, that's okay yeah it was brandon um but they were both the notables yes yes and and um but what the performance he gave uh mm-hmm. and then he was he was achieving a lot of great things on his own right as a young man so i think that is testimony to example you said how you were you were raised uh, raised yourself in a sense and uh, again your perseverance um, but you also as you mentioned you fostered so many other kids mm-hmm. and it was unique or interesting in the book of how 
you really went above and beyond in connecting with all of them. It seemed like the foster care system from your description was love these kids, connect with these kids, but not too much. I mean, it was, it was the one thing that stood out, and I had talked to you about this before that jumped out of me in the book, was when you were taking a family vacation, Mm-hmm. then you know go with your biological children but you know just do that and it was beyond me how then tell the foster kids well you guys have fun we're gonna go have fun and we'll tell you about it when we get back right we we found that just super tragic so when we started doing foster care we were literally told by a social worker that um, when they did our our home study that we could not hug the children and I was like what what do you mean we can't hug these kids and they said you can't hug these kids you're going to have a lot of um, sexually and this was years ago so hopefully that's changed but you're going to have a lot of sexually abused kids in the home and that could um, start a false allegation we don't want you hugging them and so because I was so anti that we went on a huge campaign and um, if you've ever emailed me you know my email is hug em crew at Hotmail. And so my at that point we had like six vehicles and they were hug one, hug two, hug three, hug four, mm. hug wow. five, hug six. So we went on a, a big campaign about how important hugs were because if you look at the research, if you have a sexually abused child and you place them in foster care and you're not gonna give them appropriate attention, they're going to want the negative attention that they had. They're going to they're going to go back to the sexual abuse. It's better than not being touched. And so we were just kind of shocked at some of the things that we thought were broken at the time in the system. And you mentioned vacations. We did respite for so many other kids that their um, foster families would go on vacation without them. And we were just shocked by that because we wouldn't even consider that we did respite for families that would not want their their foster kids over Christmas and so we would take them for two weeks over Christmas and and I just couldn't imagine that that made no sense to me Um, and so we tried to do a much different job and I think I think things are better um, in in many foster homes now and even how they're training foster parents now that's that's good well I, I appreciate you being here. Um, is there any other message that you, you want us to share? I mean, your book says it says it so well, and I know you can find the book. Heck, just go on Amazon, and it's it's there. Um, Barnes and Noble, um, and I, I think the library's in the process of getting it as well. But um, any any other words you'd like to share? I think it's just important for everybody to remember that um, you know they have a story. They have a story that um, other people may need to hear, um, and that you know that if there's secrets from their past that they're they haven't dealt with, that there are appropriate resources in the community to help them deal with that. And that honestly, once the secrets expose, the power of that past is usually gone and so I would just encourage people to find a trusted person that they could talk to if they have um, traumatic experiences in their past that are struggling with. Well I think the other advice I'd give to people is you know get Phyllis's book. Um, (laughs) We live in an era where it seems like uh, people take offense at the, 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 the simplest slight you know, and, and sometimes they think it's kind of the end of the world. I was disrespected or someone said this or I think someone thinks this about me. And then to hear your story and to see how you persevered and really 
how you are, are stronger because of that. There's a, a simple quote I like that's kind of grow through what you go through, and you Absolutely. certainly you certainly have. So uh, again, it's it's great to not only have you here, but uh, you are a, a highly successful Pekinite. Uh, again, you're one who overcame obstacles. I think it was Booker T. Washington who once said, you know, success is not determined by what you do, it's what you overcome. Absolutely. And you're certainly an example of it. And, well, and it's you. a very inspiring story. And thank you for being here. And thank you, Mike. Mike Eaton, sound guy. Mike is is always here and puts up with me every time we do one of these. I think this is our 44th uh, podcast. I want to thank the Pekin Library, as always, for providing the space, even though we are next to the teen domain, which you could hear throughout um, our, our uh, interview just now. We'll see how that comes comes through. Uh, and uh, we're here in their passport room, which uh, I would recommend people take advantage of if seeking a passport. Uh, we always uh, welcome your thoughts, comments, input. Uh, just send us an email to uh, peakinpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks and have a great day.